0: Welcome to So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you are trying to evaluate whether real estate is the right career for you, wondering whether you're doing the right things to launch into quick success, or looking for tips and tools you can use today to become a more productive agent, this is your podcast. Welcome to episode 11 of So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. I'm Meredith Fogel here with my co-host, Valerie Harnois. Welcome, and thank you as always for listening And we're going to start, as we always do, with a reminder to please leave ratings and reviews and a new ask for you guys, which is to please send us your show ideas. We would love to know what you would like to hear more about. We have lots of our own ideas for future episodes, but we'd love to hear what you'd like to know about too. So let's start with a review of episode 10, which was all about mindfulness, vision, and creating a vision board. So I know a lot of you have gone on to our website at therealestaterainmakers.com to check out our vision boards, and we would love for you to continue to send us yours so that we can see what you've come up with and to see what your vision
1: is for your business.
0: I posted ours. ours. Yeah, we've had a bunch of check-ins to the website from people looking. Yeah. So today, we're going to take you through the exercise of breaking down your goals so that you can pinpoint exactly how many transactions you'll need in the next 12 months and how many signed listings and buyer agreements you'll need to reach that transaction goal, even how many client appointments you'll need to reach your goals. So this is part three and our final part of our three-episode goal-setting series. So let's get started. And when we do our goal-setting, I always say we begin with the end in mind. So for those of you who know Tony Robbins, he's an inspirational speaker, big website and social media presence. He says, setting goals is the first step toward turning the invisible into the visible. and I think that's so true because it really does make what is kind of intangible tangible for you. And as we know, setting goals also focuses your subconscious on achieving those goals. So Valerie always says, you know, she's kind of like, pull kicking and screaming into goal setting, but I do agree that it's, it's valuable to do. Now, do you go into this last step and kind of break it down even farther into how many transactions or where do you stop with this
1: process? Well, I do print your worksheet. And at the beginning of the year, I do do it. It makes me a little nervous to follow it like week by week, month by month, but I always have a sense of Like in my mind, I always say, okay, if I did 10 houses during the year, I know how much that is. So in my mind, in a vague kind of way, and it's so not specific that it doesn't make me nervous (laughs) because it doesn't matter. If not, it's just going to give me anxiety. So if I know I'm in house number six, I know I'm close. And if it's August, I can see four more. You know? Okay, so, so got, I kind of make it more basic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like,
0: but you have that breakdown at the beginning of the month, no, at the beginning of the year, rather, knowing right. how many transactions you need total. I think you
1: have to because you don't realize how little it takes to reach that goal. If you, it seems more insurmountable if you don't break it down. But I remember, I think it was with Long and Foster where they asked me how much more I wanted to do or something, and she's like, "Well, that's two houses."
0: so I was like oh
1: my god that's two houses so I like hearing that as opposed to that's 20,000 more Like, how do you get 20 I'm like oh my gosh I can totally get two more buyers right you know so I thought or actually she had said you should see it her example was that she wanted windows in her house all new windows Mm -hmm. and her husband was like no we're not getting new windows and she's like I'm gonna get new windows so she's like I'm gonna sell two more houses and I'm getting windows and I thought that was a great Yes. So I use that a lot. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to do one more because that's going to cover our Christmas trip or, you know,
0: yes. I do the same thing. Sometimes I'll say to Chris, well, let's do this like plantation shutters, right? We're getting plantation right, shutters right. on our house, which I finally, I, finally. Yes. I wanted since we moved into that house 18 or 19 years ago or whatever it was now. And, you know, we got the estimate and I know, I knew they were expensive. They're actually a little bit less than I thought they were going to be, right. but I'm like, okay, that's like one and a half commissions, you know? Exactly. So when I say it that way, then it's, I think it's more palatable for both of us actually yes. to yes. be able to probably Right, because It's almost
1: not out of your pocket. It's almost like an extra. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah I'll work for it. Yeah. Um, And speaking of the worksheet that Valerie referred to, so the worksheet is actually the tool that we use at the beginning of each year when we do our goal setting exercises. You can also find that worksheet. We're going to post it for you at the realestaterainmakers.com website, so you can print it and use it if you'd like to. In episode nine, you identified your big goals the specific achievements associated with with each of those goals, and how much money you would need to complete each of those achievements. So if you forgot, go back and listen to episode nine, or go back and see what you jotted down. So let's take the total amount that you need to complete all of your goals. So that's the end that we're going to start with in mind, And then we're going to break that amount down over the amount of time you have. So as Valerie just said, this is where you're going to break it down into kind of achievable bites that don't feel so overwhelming. And this amount of time can be a real or a personal deadline. So, you know, when I had one of my goals, which was, you know, to buy a boat, for example, when I first started out, I really wanted to get that boat within the next couple of years. There was no real deadline there. Whereas when I wanted to, you know, make sure that I could send the kids to college debt-free. There was a real oh, deadline yeah. there. That was there was a real amount of time I had. That's the Jaws theme again. The Jaws. <laughs> That's that so funny. Situation is coming. I was actually hearing that in my head. That was really funny <laughs> that you said that. Um, so figure out kind of what that time frame is. Now add that amount to the amount of income you want or need to earn within the next twelve months. So this is if you've gone into this career. With, okay, I'm going to contribute this much to my household, to my mortgage, to paying our expenses, whatever it is. That's the amount you need. Now, in order to accomplish your goals, you're adding an additional amount. So, this is where you're going to push yourself a little bit to achieve more. So, that number, which is that income amount, that contribution amount, plus your goal amount per year becomes your first year income goal. Ask yourself is that number higher than you expected? If so, good. A great goal should scare you a little and excite you a lot. That's another quote, courtesy of author and actor Joe Joe Vitale. But for now, you know, as you're walking through this, just kind of listen again to us guide you through the steps. And we're going to use an example annual income that we're going to talk to you about in a second. And then when we've guided you through this all and you're ready to set your own goals, again, just go over to therealestateratemakers.com and print out the worksheet so that you can calculate your own goals. For purposes of the example that we're about to talk you through, we're going to use the income amount of $200,000, just to take a nice round number. So the first thing you're going to do is enter your annual income goal, that's the $200,000, onto the income goal line on the worksheet that you're going to see. The next thing, and again, this is like if you're looking at the worksheet, this is at the bottom of the worksheet. You're going to work from the bottom up. It's a little bit backwards feeling, but it makes total sense when you get to the end. So next, what you're going to do is divide your total income goal, so that $200,000, by your personal average commission percentage per transaction. So for our example, I use mine, which is 2.5% to arrive at the goal number, and remember, Commissions are always negotiable and they vary from market to market and sometimes from transaction to transaction, right? So if you are new to this, you can go back to your MLS, your local MLS, and see what the average offer of commission is per listing in your market area so that you get a sense of what your average commission is likely to be. And remember to subtract any split with your broker from the percentage amount you use because that will be real money out of your pocket. Once you've made that calculation, that will give you your volume goal numbers. Let's look at that example. Using $200,000 at my personal average commission rate of two and a half percent, that total volume is $8 million. Now, that sounds like a giant number, right? When right. you see $8 million for a minute, you're like, whoa, the brakes screeching. You're like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. But hold on. Stay with us because it gets a lot better. Next step. Calculate the number of transactions you'll need to close to reach your volume goal. In order to do this, first, you want to divide your volume. So for us, it was that $8 million by your historical or projected average transaction amount. So that is actually the amount of each house, the the cost, the purchase price of each house that you're going to probably sell or that you have sold for the past 12 months to find this number. So, for our market, we used an average transaction amount of $500,000. And when we did that calculations, we took our 8 million, we divided it by $500,000, it resulted in a goal of 16 total transactions over a 12-month period. Sounds not too bad when we're saying it that way, right? That's right, just over that 18 million.
1: Per- I was like, okay, that could be eight 1 million dollar homes or immediately I yeah, am like 16 000, or 32. You know what I mean? That's a good way to think of it. I feel that's Probably to the point I get where I'm like, okay, 16 transactions at 500000 I can do that in 12 months. Okay. That's one I really want, plus a little extra here and there. So
0: then in your head, as you're yeah. working through those, if you were to sell a million dollar house, you're like,
1: okay, Correct. i run ahead now, right? Exactly. Which oh. ahead then makes you feel so much better because it's like, okay, icing on the cake kind of thing. That's a really good way to think about like it. And when there's one that's almost like a bonus. Right. So, right. yeah. Such a good way to think about it. It's all about the (laughs) pressure.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's good. And again, how you're going to identify this if you haven't had a full year in real estate is just go to your MLS, look at the market average, historical average for the past 12 months for the market that you're concentrating in and see what the average your transaction prices. In neighborhood, 500
1: is average. But if you go right. outside of Kentlands, it might be 300, 400. Exactly. 40, exactly. It Montgomery could be. Montgomery County. Yeah, yeah. Very different depending on where you work. So it yeah. might be 32 transactions. It
0: could be. It could be. Yeah. Next, what you're going to do is to use your average historical or projected agreement conversion rate. That sounds more complicated than it really is. Your conversion rate is the percentage of signed listing and buyer agreements that actually result in closed transactions. So in other words, that is the number of, if you're mostly a listing agent, of listing agreements that you have, listings you put on the market that actually become sold houses that go to settlement, or if you're working with a buyer, the number of signed buyer's agreements that become closed buyer transactions. That's your conversion rate. And you're gonna use that to find the number of signed listing and buyer agreements you'll need to reach your transaction goal. So how do you do that? First, you wanna figure out what your conversion rate is. If you don't know, National Association of Realtors says the national average is 85%. So you can use that. I was thinking
1: about that when you said that. I'm probably like at 95%. Wow. That's really good. But maybe it's because I don't follow people, you know what I mean? Like I don't go to a dead end at all. I don't even begin the dead end.
0: You sign people you know are going to
1: actually correct, result like, in transactions, really yeah. right? Like I get the vibe that they're serious that they want. They just don't want to spend every Sunday yeah. with me. That's pointless. Right. But you know what I mean. So yeah. that's interesting too. Not to waste time with people, even though it makes really? you feel busy. Yeah, you're not. You're just wasting your time. Really. Really, really good point. Yeah, that's true. You're probably at 95% too.
0: I probably As am. Well. Yeah. I think yes. historically my, is a 97% sold Same. listings, But buyers, I feel, are a little less sure. I mean, sometimes you get buyers who just, they take two years to buy or right. they decide to rent rather than buy. I break right. up with them. Yeah. <laughs> You're a little more blonde, hardcore though. than I yes, am. Yes, I
1: am hardcore. But okay,
0: that's yeah. good. But you kind of need to be. You're right. I mean, that conversion rate does have a lot well, to do with your you productivity. Your time, it
1: mm-hmm. might make you feel like you're working towards this whole goal that you're setting up, yeah. but really, you're just it's like spinning wheel, which yeah. makes you feel better, but it doesn't make you any money or right. Know. It doesn't actually get you productive. Correct. Yeah,
0: yeah. So for purposes again of this exercise, we're just going to use that 85 percent. But if you're better than that, who knows to you? Awesome. So, what you're gonna do is divide your transactions goal number by your average or projected appointment conversion rate. So, in our example, that's 16 total transactions needed divided by 85%, which is 18.82 agreements needed. And I think I said appointments rather than agreements. In this case, we round it up to 19. And you'll see, even when there's a fractional number, even if it's you know 18.2 something, we're always gonna round up to the next whole number. So now we've got 19 total signed agreements needed to reach that goal of $8 million or 16 transactions or $200,000. Now your last step in this whole goal setting worksheet is to use your average historical or projected appointment conversion rate. So this is the percentage of listing and buyer appointments that actually result in signed agreements. And this is where You have to do some good record keeping. So if you haven't done this in the past, it's a good idea to keep either in your planner or in your phone in a spreadsheet that you decide to create some kind of a record of the number of appointments you're going on. So for me, again, mostly a listing agent, I might not, if I'm not keeping good records, have a good sense of how many appointments I'm going on versus how many actual signed listing agreements I get. But I do keep records on those things. So I can track my conversion rate. So kind of figure that out. So do you have a good sense of that, Valerie? Like how many people you meet with versus how many people you actually sign? Honestly, I was just thinking while you were talking.
1: I probably make it to the step before that. Okay. Like I can't, and I have to say, yeah, like I don't go past the actual transaction Okay. conversion rate. So I think like I don't mean, go past to how many then interviews I can have just to get a lease yeah. agreement. Yeah. Yeah. that's like too minutia for me. It is. It's
0: a lot of minutia, and I think. But it works for some people. Exactly.
1: I think for it is a, a sort of an additional level. It's an additional of, layer that if you're very anal, you can do. Yeah. But yeah, if I really think like if you really like the detail. The before that, yeah. you get a pretty good sense of where you need to be.
0: Yeah, least, absolutely, you know? absolutely. I think that's. You know, if you, if you like that level of detail, you can drill right. down into it if you want to. But if it adds an extra stressor or an extra piece of work that you just don't want to or can't take on, don't do it. The other thing is when you get to a point where you're at a certain level of production, this is actually something you could delegate to an assistant who keeps your calendar and then tracks what actually converts into signed buyer and listing um, agency agreements based on those appointments. you actually,
1: like you track weekly or monthly. Right? I track, yeah,
0: I track monthly. Monthly. Yeah, Yeah. I did at one point track weekly, but that got to be a little overwhelming for me, so I stopped doing that. Although, I can look back historically at my calendar, and I use, as I told you guys in past episodes, the old-fashioned planner, and I can see what days, what months, what weeks are busiest for me in terms of appointments. So it helps me actually plan like when I go on vacation, for example, um, and plan for just the natural ebbs and flows of this business so that you don't get into that that mindset of, oh my gosh, nothing's happening. Because you know, some times are just quieter in real estate than others. So similar to our last step, what you're doing here is you're going to use your projected or historical conversion rate for appointments. So again, we're using the 85% that National Association of Realtors says is the average conversion rate. So you're going to take that number and divide your signed agreement goal number by your average appointment conversion rate to calculate the total appointments you'll need to hit your signed agreement goal. So in our example, we needed 19 total agreements, divide that by 85%. That results in a goal of 22.35, which we just moved up to the next whole number of 23 So now that you have your goal numbers, you may want to take the worksheet one step farther even to calculate the breakdown of listings versus buyer sides. And I think that this is an interesting step to take. And this is something we're going to actually talk about in our next episode in more detail is being a listing agent versus a buyer's agent and how do you handle those two very different, in some ways, types of transactions. You might already know from your own personal history, whether you're primarily a listing agent and maybe 75% of your transactions are listings, which in that case would mean that 75% of those transactions need to be calculated as listings and 25% to be sales. Or you might know that historically you are more of a buyer's agent. You're primarily working with buyers and it's 75%. Some people are closer to a
1: 50-50.
0: I would say, do you think, Valerie, most agents kind of trend toward one or the other?
1: I think most people start as buyer's agent Mm -hmm. and then kind of organically, like your clients, then later sell. And that's how you become a listing agent. True. So I see pros and cons on both sides. So I feel... Buyer's agent for sure will be easier.
0: So you think if a new agent is starting out and hasn't done any of this yet, how much? What
1: percentage would you say they should calculate? Oh, they, would, they would definitely be like twenty percent listing, eighty okay. percent buyers. For okay, okay, sure.
0: so that's a good a good sort of a calculation to use yeah. if you guys are listening to this and you're brand new, just starting like out. I usually do
1: 25, 75 probably.
0: Okay, seventy five yeah. buyers, 25 percent listing. Okay, yeah. okay. So we're gonna just digress for one second to talk for a minute about. How to figure out whether you are likely to be primarily a listing agent or a buyer's agent. Do you think that there's like a personality type that is more akin to becoming one or the other?
1: Yes. Well, I I think you almost organically gravitate to one or the other. Like, I think you gravitate to listing. Yeah. And I gravitate to buyers. And I feel buyers have the upper hand. I'm sure you find listings have the upper hand. I do. Because I always tell my buyers, they already put the post. They put a price, You know they're moving. (laughs) They need us. We don't need them. So it's all on. So I prefer the psyche of the buyer. I do like doing listings as well. I think it's a little bit not easier. I think your work is done, a lot of work on the front end. Yes. And then you sit and wait for a buyer's agent to do her work. But you have to do a lot of work on the front end, and then you're kind of like sitting and waiting.
0: As a listing agent, I will say, (laughs) I kind of agree, as long as you've got a really good buyer's agent on the other end who actually does their work, as you said. Correct. (laughs) Because so many times, yes, unfortunately, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, you've got an agent bringing the buyer who doesn't do a whole lot of work other than
1: write the offer. Well, you can tell just when they give you the contract. Like you've said that before. Like I try to... Do them perfect so they're like, okay, this girl, I mean, this person knows what they're doing, yeah. you know, because it's all, it's more of a transaction of both agents as opposed to both clients. Absolutely. So I was almost like a courting thing, like, right? You know, but um, yeah, I would say definitely also in the selling side, I feel it's so obvious that the commission is being paid. It's funny because people mm-hmm. spin it both ways. They mm-hmm. spin it like the buyer brings the money and then they pay the commission, mm-hmm. but. I feel it's so apparent to the seller that they've hired you to do a job. Mm-hmm. I always feel so weird when they see me at the supermarket at three o'clock or something. And oh, I, I might have stopped just for bananas and heading home. And I've been like killing myself working. Right. Right. And they're like, hmm, are you selling my house? Because to them, it's so apparent that they're paying. Yeah. So it's almost like you're working for me. I feel as a buyer's agent, it's different. It's like, I'm free to you, which I'm really not, but I am. Because yes. you own comes my commission. Interesting. But it's not as a parent. So it seems like my services are free to them.
0: Yeah. So I think they like
1: that. I think... Yeah, I think that plus, again, with houses, like it's like their child. Mm -hmm. It's like an emotional thing when you're selling the Mm house. As opposed to buying a house is emotional as well, but it's more like exciting. You should, I don't know. Yeah. I feel the psyche is a little bit different. I agree.
0: I agree. It was funny. I actually had a conversation with a seller yesterday, and she hasn't bought or sold a house in 27 Mm -hmm. years or something like that. And she said, you know, I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding how the commission works. Why are we paying it all? and i said well it's it's really just custom right it's it's not right. even like you're paying it because we could as you just said flip it around the other way and say well the buyers are actually paying it cuz they're bringing the money but you're just building the offer into the listing so right. it's actually split typically equally between the listing agent and the agent who brings the buyer they understood, they just didn't understand why they were the ones paying it. They said, she said, why wouldn't the buyer pay his or her own agent? Correct. And they get the commission that way. So she, it was just very but you confusing. But kind of way both
1: parties pay for it. Exactly. you bring it from the lender yeah. and then it gets
0: distributed from the buyer. Right, so, you right. know
1: what I mean? Well, yes, yeah, so exactly. It.
0: But yeah, I can't be confused. So do you think your role can change every time you mentioned before that if you're working with buyers, some of those will evolve Correct. into sellers eventually and you can become a listing agent for those. But... I think i mean like you for example you've stayed primarily a buyer's agent but i think because you enjoy that piece I of do. it but I say do. that you really want to like transition do you think it's possible to do that oh it's totally yeah
1: but again i have to say with my people how it's worked and then i can i can manage the people there with my style of being very honest if the house is not updated and mm-hmm. we need to price it correctly things mm-hmm. like that but i have to say if you're just a listing agent where it didn't come organically I think that's like a different kind of that's more of a business transaction what I'm saying is more like my client already and we're organically going to helping them sell because now they're invested in me and they trust me So I don't know. I don't really enjoy the, just the transactional part of listing if I don't know the person already. I
0: get it. Not so much. Yeah. And for me, it feels like a, like a challenge. It feels like a challenge to solve and to help the person through. So maybe because I talked to
1: everyone afterwards, you know what I mean? (laughs) So it's less of a, and then again, I started in team with you, like you would give me your leads and it was always buyer's leads. So maybe it's because that's what I got used to. True. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. maybe I like to tell people what to do, which yeah. is great.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, yeah, I think there's leading in, in both sides of it. What about that old saw in real estate? People always say you have to list to last. What
1: do you think about that? Well, I do have to say it seems easier. Like once you have the listing, which is harder to get, mm-hmm. but then you have a listing. If you right. have a buyer, you really don't have the buyer until you ratify because mm. they could always just go or change their mind or, like you said, do three years and never buy anything. Yeah. But if someone's listing, it's going to happen, it's just a matter of time. So I feel that's like almost like income that you're going to get. It's just a matter of do I get in 30 days or in 60 days, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I think the other piece of it is that listings tend to spin off other business. Correct. So for every listing, I get multiple buyer inquiries, which might either that's buy that house or that house might yeah. not be the right fit. And they may turn into a buyer for something else that I sell, which then might turn into a seller down the road and other listings. So I
1: think that's part I of think it too. a new person, is easier to be a buyer's agent for sure. Because yes, then from any lead, people are just looking for anything for trusting someone with your house, your listing, mm-hmm. your, the profits you're going to make. Then you want like a neighborhood expert or someone that you know
0: does a lot of those things. Yes. Yeah. All right. So back to where we were with the goals. So now you have figured out, hopefully, whether you are primarily a buyer's agent or a listing agent and made that split in your goals, if that's what you wanted to do. And now, you know, if you take either, let's say it's a 50-50, you know that Half of the number of transactions that you need to do are going to fall into your buyer side and half on the listing side. What you can do if you really want to go farther into this is break these numbers down into monthly goals. And actually, this is what you do, Valerie, and what we do on the team is we use that worksheet, which can be as simple as a very straightforward spreadsheet. And you can see our website, or this is actually something that I Talk about in uh, farming for real estate agents. If you're listening to this before 2021, then it hasn't been released yet. But if it's after 2021, January 12th, you can pick up a copy of it online or through uh, Amazon or anywhere that books are sold. You'll see that there's a spreadsheet there that you can plug your numbers into to outline your goals per month. And what you'll see is that it will actually help you track your progress each month as well. So some people like Valerie kind of keep the number in their heads are cognizant of how they're moving toward their numbers as the year progresses. People like me, I go back to my spreadsheet every month and I plug the numbers in and I can see myself moving farther along in the numbers. And at the beginning of every new month, I revisit that goal, I enter my actual numbers in from the previous month, and then I record the average volume and total volume for that month, and I note the outstanding variance. And again, this is gonna make more sense when you go and take a look at that worksheet. But one of the kind of cool things is is if for example I'm using $500,000 as my average goal per transaction and I'm trending at 625, I'm ahead of the game, right? Wow. Now I'm shrinking the number of total transactions I need to do because I am hitting a higher per transaction volume goal than I had anticipated. And each month you'll move closer to your goal. And you'll find that if you had an off month or, you know, some months you might do little or no volume, especially if you're brand new in the business, remember that in real estate, some months are just naturally busier than others. And that'll help you bridge the delta in coming months. If you have a couple of really stellar months, don't get down or worried. If you do fall off your goal a little bit, you'll get back to it. As long as you continue to track your production, it'll help you stay motivated.
1: I think this is why real estate agents don't spend till December. Like, I never spend till December. And you try to do trades, kind of. Yeah. Because you never know. You could have a banner March and then an awful April or, you know, and then. Yeah, it's true. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and
0: valleys. Yeah. And remember, too, when we talked about this before, real estate is really not linear in terms of the way that time works for real estate. It's not really a January to December calendar. That's just our construct for how we keep track of it. And that's why I say if you decide to leap into goal setting, maybe make November your first month. Maybe make, if you want to be really on fire, make March your first month, make April, whatever your busiest month is in your market, make that your first month. And then you're going to have a big old head start on your goal. And you're going to feel less pressure as you move farther down. For me, I like starting in January. It's a slow runway and I know I'm working toward my goals, but I also know, you know, March through June, usually I'm going to kill it. And probably make at least half of what I need in that yeah, time yeah it's weird
1: like remember how every Christmas I'm like where's my Christmas miracle yes it always happens the like Christmas miracle even last year I put it on Facebook where's my Christmas miracle and then I sold that house yes. I did that open house sold a new house in Urbana and sold her house here in Kevin's Yeah. so I feel like yes like the peaks and valleys are hard to negotiate yeah but again that was a month that I shouldn't have had anything so that was bonus yeah Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's because you've worked hard all year, but it's so weird. Like you can't get discouraged when it's down or. uh,
0: But I also think it's because you have that Christmas miracle in your head. Right. Yes. I literally
1: was waiting for it. And I'm like, it's not going to happen this year, which was really (laughs) weird. And then I put it on Facebook. With this Santa yes. thing, really cute. I'm like, where's my Christmas miracle? <laughs> and literally two weeks later, I posted an update. Update to my Christmas miracle. <laughs> so maybe I willed it. You're right. Yes. It's like power of positive thinking. Power of positive thinking. Put but it out there and totally. it comes back to you. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, like you usually, like we talk when things are slow and it's like you have to almost enjoy it when it's yeah. slow because then we're going to get slammed. Yes. So it's yes. kind of another I always remember at the beginning I'm like I'm a loser nobody wants <laughs> But it's like, no, take time. Go do your yes. hair. Go do this because then next week you won't be able to do yes. anything. Spend
0: time with your kids. Work on your hobby. You have to take time Without guilt, times. though. Without guilt. Yeah, that's the harder part. <laughs>
1: that is the weird thing because I always think, like, let me enjoy this weekend because now next weekend is going to be crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know what's going to happen yet, but it will. It it's, will. It's crazy. hundred
0: percent, yes. Or plan a vacation. Like Valerie just said when she was coming in, she's going to visit her daughter this weekend. Yes. And oh my God. all of a sudden everything is blowing up yes, in a good way I put an
1: offering I'm showing three houses tomorrow it's always like that my husband says when I'm slow he's like just put in Facebook that we're going somewhere <laughs> and it's true I think yes. I exude anxiety you know <laughs> what I mean that I want everything wrapped up perfectly yes. like I don't want anybody to like meet me while I'm gone to yes. sense it mm-hmm. so it's crazy yes. so I might have to leave a day later it's or Sunday, a real thing we'll yeah hopefully not
0: All right, so on our next episode, we're gonna be discussing and exploring more this idea of being a listing agent or a buyer's agent. And we're gonna talk to you about one, how to get your first listing or your first buyer client and how to avoid the pitfalls of that first transaction and give you some strategies to ensure success and how to spin that very first transaction into repeat and referral business that will help you build your career as you're getting started. And
1: you can put on that worksheet.
0: (laughs) You can put on that
1: worksheet. So you have numbers to actually put on that worksheet. Put it all back around. Love it.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you would like to connect with us for your very own personalized goal-setting session, we would love that. Connect with us through our website. Again, that's therealestaterainmakers.com. Again, you can find our goal-setting worksheet there or in the book, Farming for Real Estate Agents, which will be out January 12th. As always, thank you for listening. Please, please, please leave us a review or a rating. I have been Meredith Fogel and Valerie Harnois, And this is So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. See you next time. Bye-bye. We are so grateful you joined us today on So You Want to Be a Real Estate Agent. If you're still not sure real estate is the right career for you, tune in to our next episodes. If you're more sure than ever, tune into future episodes for more tips, tools, and insider secrets that will help you launch into productive action and achieve quick success. Just a reminder that we love reviews. Please let us know what you like best about this podcast, what we could do better, ask us questions, or send us show ideas. Check out our show notes page for our contact info or visit our website, therealestaterainmakers.com, For access to the tools, tips, systems, and other great resources we mentioned on the show. I'm Meredith Fogel.
1: And I'm Valerie Harnell.
0: We appreciate you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.